1: We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia.
0: Animal
1: liberation. Animal liberation. Animal liberation. World. Hello, welcome to Freedom of Species, the radio show where we bring issues of animal advocacy to the airwaves of 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne. My name's Harley, I'll be your host for today, and if you've been listening along live, you would have just heard from Sally on Out of the Pan, and that shows before us every week. Definitely recommend checking it out, listening in to issues around um, being queer, LGBTQIA+, in this continent, um, and just for some great guest speakers as well. So check out Sally every week before us. Um, But yeah, welcome to Freedom of Species. This week, I'm really thrilled to be joined by our guest today. So today I'm joined by Will Appleby um, from New Zealand. So Will is the investigations and rapid response manager at SAFE in New Zealand. So he's a former broadcaster. And has a background in media and communications, specializing in media relations. And he has been with Safe for four years, and as well as being vegan for six years. So, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Will, and for having a chat to me.
2: Thank you, Harley. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: So, to get started, um, I'll say a bit that I kind of stumbled across Safe's work a bit by accident, um, just kind of looking at what people different people were doing in the animal protection space in the southern hemisphere and I stumbled upon kind of safe in New Zealand and through that kind of met you. Um, but for our listeners who maybe aren't so aware um, and for myself as well I'd love to learn more. Can you tell me a bit about what safe does and I guess what your what your mission is and what it, what kind of work and campaigns that you're working on do?
2: Absolutely, um, yeah. So, Safe is Safe stands for Save Animals from Exploitation. Um, that is our full name um, as an incorporated society, um, but we uh, obviously use the acronym Safe. So, we're a registered charity based in New Zealand. And Safe was first formed. Uh, Back in 1932, actually. So it's been around for a long time. Uh, Back then, it was an organisation that focused solely on uh, animal testing um, and has since broadened its scope to now encompass um, animal rights. So we're a registered charity. We're New Zealand's leading animal rights organisation. By that, I mean... There are a number of animal rights organisations in New Zealand, most of which are grassroots. So uh, there are some notable exceptions like NZAVS, which is short for the New Zealand Anti-Vivisection Society. They focus on animals' use in science and animal testing. So SAFE is certainly the largest organisation with a focus on animal rights. Uh, We have just shy of 20 staff. And we have the largest media profile, certainly nationwide. Um, also, generally speaking, we're the first port of call when people like the media want to get comments on animal issues. Animal rights, obviously, by that I mean that we're opposed to the exploitation of animals in all of its forms. There are other charities that, that advocate for animals like the SPCA, which everyone knows who the SPCA Um, who the SBCA are, but they're advocating from an animal welfare perspective, which is quite different to animal rights, which I'm sure your listeners will be well aware of. Um, In terms of the types of work we do, it's quite broad. The things that most people notice uh, from SAFE and the things that they recognise are our campaigns. So we run campaigns on a range of issues, generally focus with generally with a focus on animal agriculture. Animal agriculture is—it's a big deal in New Zealand. It's our largest industry, and certainly historically, it's had the—it's been the largest industry. It accounts for a large amount of our um, export profits. Um, a little bit like coal mining in Australia, that's a massive industry which has a massive economic impact. Um, New Zealand's version of coal of coal mining is is animal agriculture, especially the dairy industry. So that's kind of what we focus on. Um, historically, we've campaigned for a ban on live export which I know we'll be talking about shortly. Um, We successfully campaigned to ban sow stalls in pig farms. We campaign to ban the caging of hens. So uh, battery cages um, are being phased out in New Zealand, um, but they're going to be replaced with colony cages, which are only marginally better. They're still pretty bad. Uh, So we're still continuing on that campaign to ban the caging of hens. Um, we recently launched a campaign um, advocating for a transition away from the dairy industry. Um, we've called the campaign uh, Done With Dairy. Um, and again, that's a huge issue in New Zealand because the dairy industry is um, economically pretty massive and accounts for um, a large amount of our exports.
1: Wow, that's yeah, yeah. really interesting. Um, but no, that sounds really fascinating I think like just want to touch quickly before throwing it back to you I think it's I think it's a really important point what you mentioned about like the difference there between like the animal rights groups and animal welfare groups and I guess for me it's quite rare to hear about uh, a quite large um charity who is focused more on that right side of things um so I think that's really interesting and I think probably our listeners will be quite interested in that to hear about that but yes please continue
2: sure yeah yeah i mean it's an important voice that we have in new zealand for animals um the sbca do great work no doubt um they have animal shelters up and down the country Um, they do have an input um, they do make an input um on animal welfare issues but they are coming from the animal welfare perspective um they're not opposed to the exploitation of animals um and safe really is the only nationwide organization that is putting the rights of animals front and centre with its advocacy. Another area of advocacy that is quite new for Safe is is litigation, and this is really exciting. Um, and by that I mean using the legal system to seek changes that benefit animals. Um, we've partnered with the animal law, the New Zealand Animal Law Association, on two occasions to do this in 2020. Safe and the NZALA. That's Animal Law Association for short. We took the government to court to actually challenge the use of faring crates on pig farms. A little bit of context Uh, I mentioned before that we've successfully secured a ban on sow stalls, but faring crates have been allowed to continue. Um, And these are cages which significantly. significantly restrict a mother pig from um, expressing her her natural behaviour which is a violation of the Animal Welfare Act which is our, um, our principal sort of nationwide uh, piece of legislation protecting animals. So we took the government to court and, and we won. Um, the High Court ruled that the Minister of Agriculture As well as the National Animal Welfare Advisory Committee, they acted illegally when they failed to phase out the use of flowering crates, uh, which was Parliament's intention um, with uh, an amendment to the Animal Welfare Act a few years ago. So now, as a result of that court case, the government is consulting on a new code of welfare for pig farms that proposes a ban on farrowing crates. So those submissions actually closed today. So I've been very much focused on farrowing crates for the last few weeks. Um, And finally, just another area uh, of SAFE's work that doesn't get nearly enough attention, I think, is education. So we have what we call Animal Squad, which is a group for young animal lovers, 14 years or older, who want to help animals. Animals. So by signing up to the Animal Squad, these children, they get three newsletters a year um, and a whole bunch of resources to help young people make a difference for animals. Um, so far Animal Squad has about 700 members around the country, I think it's awesome, I love seeing the newsletters even though they're for kids um, and it doesn't get nearly enough attention because what most people see from us is those headline grabbing campaigns, you know, seeking a ban on live export or rodeo or those other issues. Um, we also have have Animals as Us, which uh, provides resources on animal issues for teachers and students in, in secondary schools. And that's sort of an overview of our um, our sort of education side. Um, Amazing.
1: So what you're saying is you are all very, very, very busy. <laughs>
2: totally. Yeah, no two days are the same. There are constant issues as well. On top of what I've just described, there are constant animal issues that come across our desk on any given day that we need to respond to, which is kind of where I come in and where my role sits.
1: Amazing. I feel like that leads into me asking a bit about your role. I think, yeah, so I introduced you as... Think investigations and rapid response manager, um, which personally for me sounds very impressive. Um, definitely <laughs> That's something a- that I feel like you'd want on your resume. But <laughs> do you want to explain a bit more about what that looks like on a day-to-day basis? <laughs>
2: Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a pretty cool sounding title. It's a bit of a mouthful, to be honest. Uh, yeah, so it, this is a new role for SAFE. Um, previously, I was the media manager. So I was the guy who took all the call, the phone calls from journalists. Um, and I would advise our team um, on the messaging that we would give to the media. Uh, it also ended, meant I ended up being a spokesperson on a whole range of topics. Um, where we didn't have a dedicated spokesperson. So I still do a lot of that type of work. But my main focus now is investigations and responding to those animal issues as and as and when they arise. Um, So we, we get tip offs from members of the public. Um, and even sometimes industry insiders. And sometimes we get evidence passed over to us, videos and photos. So it's my job to look into the validity of those claims that are being made, um, work with whoever the informant is to do further investigation if required. Um, and I can help these people as well to report um, to the proper authorities if needed um, and raise awareness of an issue through um, if, if needed um, through either traditional or social media, so some people might see things that um, that could be unlawful, uh, or it just could be immoral um, treatment of animals um, that they think needs um, needs a response. Uh, and I can help those people um, either make a complaint to the relevant authorities if um, um, a breach of the law has occurred, or help what well, raise awareness of those issues um, if needed. So these are normally issues that would fall outside of the scope of our formal campaigns. So we have a dedicated team who run our major campaigns, like the Done With Theory campaign, um, like the Live Export campaign, which we've had a lot of success in. But sometimes issues come up that don't fall within those campaigns, those formal campaigns that our team runs. For example, recently we learned about a, a pig hunter that was posting videos on TikTok of their dogs attacking a wild pig. Now it turns out this is considered completely normal. Uh, for pig hunting but the issue is pig hunting doesn't really fit with any of the other major campaigns that we run so that's where I kind of step in I can pick up that issue and start raising awareness of it Um, I'd seen these these videos I could look into it do a little bit of digging do a little bit of research and that's when I found out actually this is considered normal behavior for pig hunters they have a pack of dogs and they let them attack a pig that was an issue that we were able to raise awareness of through traditional media to kind of put this on the radar people and actually question why this should be considered normal so that's an example of one of those issues that can just come up from days um any day and um yeah that's where i step in
1: amazing so i guess it's like really that fusion of the the media savvy and the knowing how to communicate with people and the being able to have that flexibility to respond to things that come up outside of the, the the structures that you're working within or the campaigns that you're kind of working on um and again, sounds like, yeah, very busy, and I imagine that no day would be the same, Um
2: yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's you're right. It's a it's a combination of that, you know, having um, a bit, bit of experience within the media landscape to be able to raise awareness of these issues. Um, but also having been, you know, and working in animal rights for four years now, you know, I've got a pretty good grasp on the legal processes that um, the Ministry of Primary Industries has to follow. I've made I don't know how many requests for official information under the official information act. um, And just knowing how the animal welfare act works and the codes of welfare and what, what those mean and how they work. Um, So being able to apply those to those issues that arise and then um, we needed um, raise awareness of it through traditional social media.
1: So I want to dive in now. You mentioned earlier live export and I feel like um, before we break for a song, I do want to talk a bit about live Expert because I know, as you as you know, um, it's a very topical issue in Australia right now. Right now, um, and of course, we've had the the promise from our new government that they would ban live sheep export, um, and there's kind of now that that waiting game and that. Um, I guess campaigners who have been working on this issue are kind of in that limbo space of having this Mm. promise, but then not sure, not being sure what's going to happen regarding that. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about how the live export campaign in New Zealand has developed um, Mm. and I guess, yeah, like how you feel it's going.
2: Yes, I was watching the most recent federal elections with great interest because I knew a potential Labour government may mean um, some movement on live export, which I know is a a real hot topic in Australia. Sadly for Australia, but good for New Zealand. We're a little bit further ahead on this issue, (laughs) I have to be honest. Um, But yeah, so live export's a really interesting one for me. Not long after I started working at SAFE um, was when we started our campaign to ban live export. And that was about four years ago now, just under Four years ago. Um, In April next year, live exports by sea will officially be banned. So, of course, live export has been a controversial trade for a long time, much, you know, many, many years, many, many decades. And it's by no means over, but at least this part of it, a ban on live exports by sea, um, I've had the benefit of being able to see that from start to finish to a certain extent. For a little bit of context, The live export of cattle, sheep and goats, as well as deer, for slaughter purposes was in effect banned um, some time ago, actually in early 2000s. There have been no live exports for slaughter since 2008, and since then it had been um, implemented in regulations that the export of livestock by sea for the purposes of slaughter is legal. The exports of livestock for breeding purposes is still legal though. And that went under the radar for quite a while. Like People didn't realise that live export was still continuing because they thought it had been banned. But there's that technical distinction there. It's illegal to export animals with the intent to slaughter them on arrival. But if you put 8,000 cattle on a ship send them to another country and not slaughter them, but use them to breed more animals, that's fine. That's legal. So this trade, uh, live export for breeding purposes, had been quietly been growing over the last decade. Um, In 2015, we exported about 20,000 cows. Last year, it was more than 130,000. So it has grown a lot over the last sort of eight years. Um, and all, almost all of these cows, with very few exceptions, are going to China and they are going there to establish intensive dairy farming operations. The biggest problem with live export, besides the fact that it's inherently exploitative, um, is once these animals leave our shores, we have zero control over how they're treated. And they're almost always going to countries with far worse and going into situations that are far worse than what they would have in New Zealand. Furthermore, while we export hundreds of thousands of cows every year by sea, we actually export a lot more by air. Um, Millions of animals are exported by air freight every year, and these are normally day old chicks, and this can be either for slaughter or breeding purposes. Um, That issue is um, not very well understood by the New Zealand public. When most people think of live export, they think of cows on ships. Um, there's very little awareness of um, day-old chicks on airplanes. So that's a bit of the context. I'd say two very, very important things happened in the last four years uh, and that really put this issue um, on the political agenda. Um, live export by sea. So in April 2019, um, there was an an expose published by ABC News in Australia, which I'm sure some of your listeners have probably seen, uh, and that revealed that about 5,000 New Zealand and Australian cattle were suffering in Sri Lanka. About 10% had died and, and many more were diseased. It was a complete animal welfare disaster, but also a human welfare disaster. Right, A lot of these farmers in Sri Lanka, they had taken out large loans on the promise that these cows would produce higher yields. And many of these farmers were left completely destitute after, the, um, after this disaster. So the government at the time, the New Zealand government, was very slow to act. But eventually, after mounting pressure, they committed to reviewing live animal exports by sea. Uh, so that was back in 2019. Um, the second major event was the sinking of Gulf Livestock one. So this was a live export ship that left Napier port on the 14th of August 2020. She was carrying 5867 cows. She was on her way to China but after about three weeks at sea uh, she sunk off the cost of off the coast of China um, after its engine broke down uh, in a typhoon. Uh, the, the ship capsized. Forty-one people died. Only two um, two people on board survived, and all four thousand, five thousand, sorry, five thousand eight hundred and sixty-seven cattle. They all drowned. Um, it was a catastrophe. There's no other way to put it. It was a complete disaster. Um, so we found out uh, that the ship had uh, gone missing on the third of September, and. For me, it was the beginning of probably the most intense fortnight of my entire career. Um, I woke up quite early on that morning. I needed to go to the bathroom and it was like 4.30, 5am. I just happened to look at my phone and I could see there was an email um, sitting in my inbox from Animals Australia. And it was marked with, you know, high, high priority. So I figured, well, I'm awake. I might as well look at it. Uh, And I dug this email out today because it was consequential uh, and it said, quote, it's the Gulf livestock one, it's missing off China as it met a typhoon with one Aussie, two Kiwis, 39 Filipinos and too many New Zealand cattle, maybe 6,000. So the email had a, a link to a statement from Marine Traffic, which is a website that monitors ship transport, transponders. And it had reported that the ship had issued a distress single, signal in the middle of a typhoon. So um, it was very early in the morning. You can imagine my, my heart starts to race when I realise that this ship had left New Zealand only weeks earlier. Um, I looked at the major new Major news websites here in New Zealand, and I realised that um, this was brand new. No one had been had reported on it yet. Then I really, my heart really started to race. I basically text my because I knew it was a crisis. I text the CEO Deborah Ashton, basically said, "Call me as soon as you're awake, as soon as you can." A live export ship left Napier. It's potentially sunk um, with cattle on board. I started drafting a media release couple of hours later, um, Deborah, the CEO, she calls me and we have a chat about what we're going to say. We put out the media release and that was it. It was all hands on deck. The phone starts ringing off the hook. Journalists want to report on the story. Um, they realise this is a massive crisis, especially for the government, um, because they had already started this review in early 2019. Uh, by this point, it was 2020. The review hadn't been finished. It was dragging on for over a year. It had been delayed by COVID-19, um, and then and the ship had gone missing. and And we later found out that it sunk. It was devastating. It was quite. It was very sad. Only two people had survived. 42 died, including the the New Zealanders who were on board. Yeah, it was such an an immense loss of life, and it was a complete tragedy. But the one, I guess, silver lining, unfortunately, and it's really sad that, that was the case, but um, the silver lining is that it really drove home for people the message that this is a high risk trade that we cannot afford to continue with. Because like shipwrecks, uh, live export shipwrecks aren't uncommon around the world. They do happen. Um, and this this just happened to be an example where it... Um, happened to New Zealand, uh, a ship that had left New Zealand. So I think that the the Gulf livestock tragedy, that was a big reason I think for the government's ultimate decision. Last year the the government completed its review and in April last year they announced that live export by sea would be completely banned after a two year phase out period. We're just over halfway through that phase out period now. And in our view, it's far too, it's two years too long. It should have been ended by now. Um, but at least by the end of April next year, live export by sea will be completely banned.
1: Wow. Like, yeah, I feel like the whole live export story and its ongoing, obviously, is such a, like, yeah, it's full of twists and turns, really. Um, and I think. I personally feel quite a lot of quite a lot of hope looking to New Zealand. And I think this is on quite a few issues, actually, um, mm. across the across the kind of spectrum of issues. But especially with animal issues, there's quite a few things where there's issues that in Australia, people have been campaigning on for many years. And you can see that New Zealand does just seem that little bit ahead. So mm. it does bring, I think, a bit of hope and a bit of like a vision of what we can achieve if we keep trying. Um But I'm well overdue to break for a song. I've been getting so caught up in your just gripping stories. I feel like someone should make a film about you getting up at 4.30am and just, yeah, the media frenzy. Um, But we're going to break for a song. Um, And we'll be right back with Will from Safe in New Zealand talking about... Animal advocacy over there and the amazing work he's doing so right back after this song and Will sent me through some songs from New Zealand actually so we'll be playing songs from New Zealand artists today and the song we're going to start off by playing is The Barrel by Aldous Harding.
0: 车 Separating Looks like a date is set Show the ferrets
1: Freedom of Species uh, here on 3CR Community Radio. I'm Harley, your host for today, and I'm joined by Will from Safe in New Zealand, um, talking about animal rights over in New Zealand and the campaigns that they're doing. We just had, we're just discussing live export over in New Zealand and the campaign to have it banned um, and the, the wins in that campaign as well, giving us a bit of hope for the live export campaigning over here. Um, and I want to move on now so we talked a little bit will about yeah you, your your role and your kind of um, what you do at safe um, and also kind of what safe does in the campaigns that they run which obviously involve a lot of showing the showing how animals are treated and then trying to kind of push for for better treatment and for kind of animal rights um, and something I think is really relevant for that is, and I think you're probably aware of this, but on the 1st of July, so really recently, we just had the Victorian Livestock Management Amendment Animal Activism Bill, which has been known as Agag, gag, um, come into effect into Victoria. Um, and for those listeners who haven't been aware of this, we haven't talked about it too much on the show yet. Um, but the bill basically imposes increased penalties for activists who enter farms, um, and it's While it kind of talks a lot about biosecurity and risk there, it specifically was brought into play after a series of kind of exposes and actions by activists who capture and release footage of farming conditions. So this is obviously a really big deal for Victoria um, and it's following in the footsteps of other states in Australia who kind of introduced these increasingly repressive laws targeting Um, people who are exposing conditions on farms in this country. And I would love to hear a bit about if there is anything similar in New Zealand and just in general, your thoughts on these ag-gag laws, these increasingly restrictive laws, which are explicitly targeting animal advocates.
2: Yeah, so I've been watching the the moves in other countries to introduce these ag-gag-type laws with a lot of interest. It's quite a chilling effect that these pieces of legislation could have because we have, in in, in countries all around the world, just like in New Zealand, um, we have teams of... Incredibly brave volunteer investigators who do go onto farms to capture footage to um, expose what happens in the agriculture industry, and it's because of that footage that has that's resulted in some of the successes that we've had Um, in New Zealand. There's a group called Farm Watch who, over the last decade, have captured footage of pigs and sour stools and faring crates. They captured footage that uh, exposed the treatment of bobby calves in the New Zealand dairy industry. And it's because of that footage that we were able to push the issue of the treatment of bobby calves on the nation on, on the agenda nationwide. It was because of that footage um, captured of pigs and sow stools that we were able to get a ban on the use of sour stools. It's because of that footage that shows the hens, lay hens, in highly confined cages that resulted in a ban on battery cages. Um, So it is alarming to see it happening overseas. Thankfully in New Zealand there hasn't been any moves yet to introduce similar kind of legislation, at least not by this government and the previous government, uh, the previous national government, which is our centre-right party, they didn't make moves either. I would not put it past industry leaders to try and put it on the agenda, but at least from where we're sitting, we haven't seen moves um, in New Zealand to introduce ag-gag legislation. Um, I do want to talk about one story though, which does raise some concerns for us. So there was uh, a few years ago in 2018 farm watch captured footage of a uh, from a dairy farm uh, which shows a contract milker or a shear milker is what they're called in New Zealand essentially beating and abusing cows Um, so what had happened was workers on this farm had seen this um, this farm worker uh, treating cows in terrible terrible condition like literally hitting cows with steel pipes uh, I don't know in the end if that was confirmed whether it was steel or not, but basically pipes, abusing cows, um, spray painting cows with, with, with awful um, words and names. And and these farm workers on this farm had tried to raise raise this with the Ministry for Primary Industries, they are the ones who are responsible for investigating crimes and complaints under the Animal Welfare Act on farms in New Zealand and if needed lay charges. So these farm workers are complained to MPI, to the proper authorities, MPI basically made a hash of it, like completely screwed it up. They didn't thoroughly investigate. They went away saying, nothing to see here, everything's fine. Um, obviously, these farm workers were not happy about that. So they alerted Farmwatch, um, this volunteer group who um, go undercover and film and get footage of um, the mistreatment of animals. And they were able to able to get footage of this particular farmer beating cows with, with a pipe. And that footage did prompt the Ministry for Primary Industries to lay charges against this this farm worker. Um, so thanks to that, you know, undercover footage that farm workers were able to get, that actually led to a prosecution. However, when it went to court, the judge decided to deem the footage that was gathered by the Farm Watch, they deemed that footage as inadmissible evidence because the judge said that it was obtained illegally. Um, basically, they didn't want to encourage other volunteer investigators to go out and get footage like this which was extremely disappointing Um, what that meant was that um, there was a a lot less evidence for the case to stand up on and the farmer was given a slap on the wrist they were given a three thousand dollar fine I think it was maybe three thousand or four thousand dollars I don't believe they were banned from owning animals or um, looking after animals yeah it was a real slap on the wrist it was because the judge threw out this evidence which raised concerns for us because it was it kind of looked like a little bit of an egg gag by stealth, right? It wasn't legislation legislation hasn't been passed. You know, ag-gag legislation hasn't been passed but this decision by this judge could set a precedent basically that means that in future if undercover footage is gathered illegally because essentially um, and this is probably the same in Australia no doubt across the world undercover volunteer investigators who get this type of footage they are in a sense trespassing on people's farms so they do have to break the law to a certain extent in this case you've got clear evidence of mistreatment of animals and that evidence was thrown out of court so yeah it's, it's worrying it's concerning we don't know what that could mean for the future but it could indicate a gag by stealth essentially
1: Mm, that's really interesting i think we've had a very similar case quite recently um, in victoria where footage of a rabbit farm was obtained by animal liberation and they put in a complaint to Agriculture victoria and first off they got the response that the conditions Mm. were comply it um, so that no further action would be taken. Um, that was the mm-hmm. initial statement. But then upon kind of review, they were told that the evidence that they gave um, was deemed unlawful because it was collected illegally. That definitely seems like mm-hmm. it's coming up. And like in another case, um, we were recently protesting against the ag laws. So we went to these farms that have had footage obtained from them um, and did like live streams outside and t- saying that the that animals mm. had no protection under the law and that these bodies such as the RSPCA and Agriculture Victoria w- weren't able yeah. or willing to act in the, in when like conditions mm. were exposed. Um, so we called like the RSPCA and Agriculture Victoria and told them about the footage and the conditions and asked if they would be willing to come. Um, and one yeah. statement from someone on the phone from Agriculture Victoria was that they thanked the person calling and said that if it wasn't for animal, if it wasn't for people like the person calling exposing what goes on and like exposing instances of cruelty and violence, although, of course, all these systems are violent and cruel, Um, then they would have no way of knowing. So it was basically an admission from this person that these bodies designed to protect animals in these systems actually have no way of upholding the standards that do exist.
2: Yeah, yeah. And the Ministry for Primary Industries, they didn't come out you know, strongly either way about this footage that Farm Watch had been able to gather. But um, it's un- undeniable that MPI um, would not have laid charges had that footage not been gathered. And to be honest, that's partly a failing of, of the Ministry for Primary Industries. So they are responsible for investigating and prosecuting crimes under the Animal Welfare Act on farms. But this same entity, the Ministry for Primary Industries, they are also responsible for growing and um, promoting agricultural interests and agricultural profits and exports. So they have an inherent conflict of interest. They also don't have enough resources. They only have about 30 odd inspectors and that's to look after 160 odd million farmed animals, 30 inspectors. It's, it's really not enough to... Actively monitor agriculture in New Zealand. So, in a lot of cases, it is up to volunteer investigators to to get this evidence, um, because the people who are responsible for it, they're investigating these issues. A, have a conflict of interest, and B, don't have the resources to do it. So another thing that we're asking for is as a commissioner for animals, because we want to have a um, an independent office um, who can investigate and advocate for animals, um, separate from the Ministry for Primary Industries, whose primary focus is um, promoting agriculture profits and exports.
1: We're going to take a quick break there just for a community announcement, um, and then we'll be right back with Will from SAFE. 3 CR Community Radio, 855
0: AM. It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason to be screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the constitution for that, you know. That's why freeCR CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not. we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got but it's all about having a voice Subscribe to 3CR fiercely independent and community controlled
1: Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377 Hello, welcome back to Freedom Species. If you're just joining us, I'm Harley. I'm your host. I'm joined today by Will, and we've been having a great conversation about animal rights in New Zealand and the work of SAFE in New Zealand. Um, So in just a little bit of time that we have left, Will, just wondering if you could give us a bit of insight into what you're working on now and the campaigns that SAFE uh, kind of driving forward at the moment as well as how people can support and get involved um, obviously a lot of our listeners will be in australia um but you know we might have some people from your side of the of the ocean um, but just in general i'm sure people would love to know how they can follow along and get involved in what you're working on
2: totally yeah so um so as I mentioned before, we took the government to court a couple of years ago over their failure to ban faring crates. So we have been working on... Um, encouraging the public to make submissions on the new Code of Welfare for pig farms uh, because the Draft Code of Welfare proposes a ban on flowering crates. So uh, SAFE has made a submission. We're encouraging all our supporters to make a submission. We're also heading back to court next week. So we're actually taking the government to court again over the issue of rodeo events. Um, I'm sure you've got rodeo in Australia. It's quite big here in rural communities in New Zealand there's about 30 rodeo events across the country so the New Zealand Animal Law Association SAFE is partnering with them again and together the New Zealand Animal Law Association and SAFE we're taking the government to court because rodeo events they essentially violate the Animal Welfare Act from that which is from our perspective so that's coming up next week which is really exciting what other things are we working on Greyhound racing is a hot topic in New Zealand at the moment, so we partnered with the Greyhound Protection League um, and delivered a petition to Parliament last year. Uh, we, we we launched a campaign um, end of 2020, early 2021. We launched a campaign to, to get people to sign that petition and we started raising issues, um, raising concerns about the treatment of dogs in greyhound racing because it is pretty abhorrent. Um, and we've because of that, um, we managed to put it on the political agenda. The government reviewed uh, greyhound racing last year um, and uh, following that review, um, the a report came out and it was damning, it was another indictment on greyhound racing and the government said they've got until the end of this year to um, make improvements or risk closure. So um it's a real hot topic in New Zealand, greyhound racing, whether it should be banned or not. We're continuing to highlight the issues in greyhound racing um, as and when they arise. Um, so it's clear to the government at the end of this year when they ne- do make that decision whether to close uh, greyhound racing, um, they've got all the facts in front of them. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, those are the main things right now that we're focusing on Um Absolutely, people can, in Australia can support what we do. Um, safe.org.nz um, You can check out the campaigns that we're running. Um, obviously the dairy industry, that's a big campaign for us at the moment. It's big business in New Zealand. Um, so, And there's a whole heap of other campaigns that we're running. Um, we recently started a campaign um, targeting fish farming in Aotearoa uh, because fishes are probably, they probably have it the worst out of all farmed animals. Um, and um, they're not even measured by um, individuals in New Zealand, the amount of fishes that are killed every year, it's by the ton. Um, so we've been highlighting uh, f- uh, the experience um, for fishes. In, in in factory farms in new zealand because they're they're kept in these barren underwater cages and um which is a range of animal welfare negative animal welfare impacts um yeah there's heaps of stuff that we're focusing on but those are the those are the big things that popped in my mind at the moment
1: amazing thank you so much and yeah definitely listeners look up safe follow along um i just want to finish with one final question um and then we'll wrap off and yeah thank you so much for coming on the show it's been so great to talk to you um But I can imagine that the work that you do, and I think this is pretty common for a feeling for like animal advocates, it it sometimes can feel quite unforgiving um, and that, you know, feeling of pushing a boulder up a hill um, and just trying to kind of keep moving forward. Um, So I wanted to just ask if you would be able to finish with maybe something that's given you hope recently or something that kind of keeps you moving forward, keeps you going, um, keeps giving you hope.
2: Yeah, it's um, you're right. It can be unforgiving. Um, it is it is tough, um, uh, especially if you're being regularly exposed to um, ill treatment of animals. Um, it is tough. I tend to have a bit of a thick skin. I can, um, I can sort of endure, you know, watch because we we get sent all this footage and stuff, and that's all terrible. Um, and um, I probably have um I've got a pretty good apt- you know pretty good ability to to, to to cope with it but it does take its toll um, and we talk a lot about resilience it's really important to uh you know it's resilience isn't something that people inherently have it's, it's something you've got to manage you know so um you know we put a lot of work into taking care of ourselves because um, it's easy, a lot of people burn out in in this line of work so it is really important to take care of ourselves as animal activists and um, and, and recognise the signs when things are getting a bit too much, when things are getting tough. Um, and it's important to take the wins when you can get them. And um, and you're absolutely right. I think that a few things that have given me a lot of hope is, um, I think, I mean, the, the ban on live export is is fantastic. Like, um, when that was announced, well, that was just such an amazing feeling to know that um, we'd managed to succeed with that goal. Um the I think a lot of the commentary around greyhound racing, the fact that the government is speaking quite strongly um, and, and telling the greyhound racing industry that they do need to make improvements or else they will risk closure. Um, and the government's not mincing their words on it. They are saying, you know, if you don't make the improvements, then you'll force our hands. Now, of course, we know we don't think that the industry can make the improvements to protect dogs. So um, we hope it is inevitable. Um, and other than that, you've just got to take the small wins where you can, you know, when you um, um, when you get, you know, um, Good, you know, great feedback from people who, you know, appreciate the work that we do. You know, you've really got to take that on board. Um, just getting an article published in, um, on TV or on radio, uh, getting an interview and and having a good interview, um, you know, taking those small wins where you can um, is, it, it means a lot. Um, and and it's important to celebrate them because it's easy to, 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 to feel like you are pushing a boulder uphill Um, and constantly fighting this uphill battle. Um, And, yeah, I think some of the things that we've been able to achieve in in the four years that I've been at SAFE um, gives me some hope. There's a lot of work still to do. Um, And I think just finally, you know, the amount of people who are going vegan now is amazing. You know, Um, when I went vegan six years ago, it was like... um, There was hardly any vegan options. Vegan cheese is barely this new product and it was not very good, to be honest. Um, You know, there was... Whereas now you can go to, like, go to the supermarket and there's, like, aisles full of vegan products. Um, people were talking about, you know, plant-based diets so much in the media. Um, it's never been easier to, to go vegan, um, than, especially than it was when I went vegan. And it wasn't even that long ago, six years ago. You know, some of my colleagues have been vegan for 20 years and now, like, it was a completely different, you know, world back then. Um, so, yeah, I think um, uh, things are looking good. Um, yeah, things, I think, you know... Unfortunately, progress doesn't go progress doesn't always go in one in one direction. Um, I think you know some of the events in the United States recently demonstrate that we won't get into it, but I think that's you know um, you know it is important to, um, to to take the wins but then to protect them as well um, because there are other interests out there who would like to roll back some of the wins that we've been able to achieve. Uh, but that's why we do what we do.
1: Absolutely and yeah, I think that's why. Why we keep going, keep pushing forward. Um, and yeah. I also went vegan six years ago and I can attest that the vegan cheese was not that good. So we can definitely... It was definitely, awful. It was, it was not. It was not great. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Things, things are looking up really. One. That's the greatest sign of yeah. progress we have. <laughs> um, well, yeah. so I'm one oh, yes, thing
2: I was going to say one final point. One thing that has made me really excited is um, I, so I run a podcast at Safe and recently I interviewed um, this person who um, launched, um, started a food technology company, and now using precision fermentation to produce um, proteins and um, um, the stuff that goes in milk, basically, um, but without using the animals and using the same technology that we've used for decades to make things like insulin, right? Using that same technology to produce casein um, that would be then used to um, produce milk products that are exactly like the real thing, but without using the cows. I think that kind of stuff's exciting, Um but, um, you know, it's important. We can't just rely and wait on technology to solve all of our problems. We also have to push for legislative change uh, to protect animals. Yeah.
1: For sure. Um, but, yeah, I think it is so important to reflect on the wins that we do have. I know in Australia mm-hmm. we had the ban on horse-drawn carriages and then Melbourne CBD recently, massive win after eight years of campaigning. And we just had, when when I'm doing this jumps. interview, the jumps ban, yeah, in South Australia. So, yeah. You know we've got to take them
2: as they come, and yes. Totally, yeah, no, that was great news to see. Just a couple of days ago, jumps racing, we've still got jumps racing in New Zealand, um, and it's awful. Um, so yeah, that's awesome that that you guys have. Um, that uh, was it, Victoria. That's
1: South Australia, um, but hopefully South Australia it will that's a, create a bit of a domino effect. Um, yeah, so yeah totally. big up South yeah. Australia for pushing for that. And for Definitely, yeah.
2: And I know a few years ago, the Australian Capital Territory banned greyhound racing, which is, you know, it's great when those things happen in Australia because we can refer to them in New Zealand, right? Um, When we're talking about greyhound racing, we can, you know, reference... Um, you know the ban in Australian Australian capital territory and I hope in Australia when you're talking about live export you can point to New Zealand and say hey these guys did it they're our closest neighbour um, we should get on board with it as well um, yeah so I'll be watching with great interest what happens with the new um, uh, Labour government in Australia um yeah, because it seemed like the previous government were very stuck in their ways.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um well thank you so much for joining me, Will. Unfortunately we're out of time, um, but I love chatting with you so much. Um and yeah, thanks for listening to Freedom of Species. Um you can catch us every week, one to two um on 3CR Community Radio. Um, you know, we're always chatting about animal advocacy, what's happening in the space around animal protection and rights um and yeah thanks so much for coming on the show
2: thank you harley it was a pleasure to be here thank you so much for for having me on it's great to have a chat with you and um and yeah good luck with everything that you're working over working on over in australia
1: so we're going to finish off with another song by a new zealand artist um as we head into the next show which is rotations um would definitely recommend it's a great show um, with lots of different music you can maybe find your next favorite artist uh we're thrilled to have will on the show this week make sure you keep tuning in to freedom species every week or listen to us online and this we're just wrapping up with a lost light by pacific heights featuring mote